0: Good morning, and the conversation continues here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio as we ease on into WIP Sunday. It's going up to the 50s today, so it should be a decent day and certainly a great day for the birds as they conquer the Vikings in just a while in Lincoln Financial Field. My guest this morning, first up, for WIP Sunday is a gentleman named Ptolemy Tompkins. He's author, one of the authors of a new book, Proof of God, the shocking true answer to the world's most important questions. Ptolemy Tompkins, God, and I hope he's there on Lincoln Field later tonight, here on 94WIP in just a bit, the WIP Times 701. We're back, and my guest this morning here on Conversation, Ptolemy Tompkins, author of the new book, Proof of God, the shocking true answer to the world's most important question. Good morning, Ptolemy Tompkins.
1: Morning. Thanks for having
0: me. My pleasure. All right, let's cut right to the chase. What proof is there that God exists?
1: I like it. I like cutting right to the chase. Um well, there's a lot of proof, but we have to get something out of the way first in order for us to see that proof. And what we need to get out of the way is the way we experience reality. Now if you're like me You're looking around, you see a bunch of physical stuff, right? Um, Maybe a cup of coffee in front of you, stuff like that. Objects, right? Real things. Um, If you were to, hope it's not going to happen, but if you were to die later today, that cup of coffee, or at least the cup, would still be around. The material world is solid and stable, but that inside person, that, that you that you are and the me that I am, that's having thoughts and, you know, doing this interview together, that's kind of not so real. Our thoughts, our emotions, that's kind of the world we live in. And in order to show how God does, in fact, exist and we live in a universe that is Full of the evidence of his presence everywhere, the first thing we need to do is try at least for a minute to get rid of this idea that our personal selves are transient, they're going to go away, and the material world will stay on because <clears throat> science has now demonstrated there is absolutely no such thing as the material world. It's all just a mass of energy. It looks solid, it feels solid. If you bang your head against the wall, um, the wall feels solid. Uh, The headache you get, that feels real. So we're convinced of the solidity of the solid world, but it ain't there. Um, What is there is something else. But if we could just sort of switch that thinking for a second, we can start to look at the universe as a place where in fact that funny little thing inside that you feel as yourself and I feel as me that's the thing that really lasts that's the thing that's real that's why I wrote this book with Bernard Hayes, the astrophysicist because I had a sense that this was true but I wanted to talk to somebody Who really had credentials and Bernie has credentials he's been an astrophysicist for decades he's worked at at the world's top institutions and what he demonstrated to me in proof of God is that our universe is not some random event but took an incredible amount of calculation to produce the fact that you and I are talking together is a miracle beyond The wildest of miracles. Um, We'll start with something basic like, this sounds sort of wonky, but it's pretty basic. Um, It's called the gravitational constant. You pick up a pencil or a pen in your office right now, in your studio, and you drop it, you know it's going to hit the table, right? Right. Um, That has to do with something called gravity. Now, what most people don't know, what Bernie explained to me, is that gravity could be strong or weak. It's kind of like setting your radio dial. It could be set anywhere, absolutely anywhere, but it is set very precisely so that that pencil hits the ground at exactly the speed it does. That's the result of the gravitational constant having been set when this world came into being. 14-plus billion years ago um, with the Big Bang. Gravity was set at that time, and it was set so precisely that we can't even conceive of the precision. Remember those, uh, you're a radio guys? so you remember those old-fashioned radio dials where, you know, in your car you had to sort of tune it, and you had that little orange stick, and you had to tune it just right to get your station before digital came along? Absolutely. Okay, well, picture a radio dial as wide as the universe itself. You know, one big radio dial, many, many stations, billions of them. Um, And imagine that in setting that radio dial, you are not trying to find a station, but you're setting gravity in just such a way that the universe can come into being. Because if gravity was a little weaker, when the Big Bang occurred, everything would have just blasted into space. No stars would have formed. No planets would have uh, formed around those stars. No complex uh, molecules would have been created. Nothing. It would all just blasted out and been a big mush. If gravity had been set a little stronger, the Big Bang would have been a big blip. It would have blasted out and it would have gone right back in. So gravity had to be set just right in order for the universe to allow it to be allowed to form itself. So how how exact is gravity set? We'll go back to that radio dial and that little orange stick that you're moving around. If it and we're talking about a radio dial as wide as the universe, if that dial had been set just one millimeter to the left or one millimeter to the right, we wouldn't have the universe that we do. Now, that might sound a little abstract, but if you, I, I find it fascinating. If you think on it for a second, you think, what are the odds that that happens? that, that is it just random? The odds against that happening are you can't even do the math. You can't, it's not like a million to one. It's not like a trillion to one. It's not like a trillion... Trillion, trillion to one. It's bigger than that. So that's just one example of many of how impossibly fine tuned the universe was to produce a planet like ours that revolves around the sun like ours uh, at just the point where we are in the galaxy. These examples go on and on and on. And if we were talking about any other subject, scientists would say, well, you know, that's proof. Because we're talking about proof of God, um, science doesn't want to go there because we're not science. Um, science is a pure pursuit. It's open to anything. But materialistic science, the science that believes that a coffee cup you got in front of you is real and that the thoughts in your head really aren't, they, they don't want to they can't think about a universe that has that much precision to it. I'll give you one more example. The first cell that formed long ago, you know, we all had science class, you know, um, the first um, the first living cell formed in the ocean millions of years ago, and it was a very primitive cell, nothing compared to the Millions upon millions of cells you and I have in our bodies right now—you know the cells in our eyes and our livers—all these specialized cells. Nothing like that. It was just you know cell 1.0, simplest cell. Well, that cell was already more complex in its structure than the most complex than the most powerful computers we have today. Well, that's funny. It just fell together like that on a planet that just happened to be circling the sun at just the right distance, at just the right point, just the right spot in our galaxy where there aren't too many other planets to crash into it. Um, It's strange. So um, one famous scientist, I forget his name, but he said if if you look at the numbers, um, it's clear that the universe was rigged. The numbers were rigged so that we would come into being. There's no other way to see it. And that basically is the proof that I talk about with burning in the book, although there are a number of other ones. Those are the ones that, you know, when I'm talking on the radio at 7 in the morning conversationally, those are the ones that <clears throat> pop first to mind. They're the ones that come first to mind if somebody says, oh, you wrote a book called Proof of God? Well, what's the proof? Well, there it is. And It's just sitting there in front of us that people don't know about it. And they don't know about it because many scientists are so uncomfortable with it, are so uncomfortable with living in this world that has the precision of a Rolex watch, you know, times a million. Um, They're so freaked out by living in this preposterously meaningful, preposterously well-constructed universe where we could arise by accident, somebody sort of set the wheels, something, some very clever somebody set the wheels just right so that we would appear. And if we were talking about anything else, that would be proof enough. But because we're talking about God, people don't like it. Does that make any sense?
0: Yes, I think so. But then I have to take it a step further. Please, if if please. there is a God, what about this split between the concept of an angry, vengeful God and a sweet, loving God? I mean, yeah. so much happens in the world that you got to wonder what God's been thinking.
1: Well, that raises a number of uh, thorny theological questions rather than scientific ones, but... I think the basic question is, if God is so good, how can we live in a world where all the stuff is going wrong? And that's basically the most complex and unanswerable question there is, except for if, now we're now returning, we're not talking about science now, we're turning, we're talking about theology, but, you know, one of the basic Christian ideas, and, um, You know, it's there in Judaism too, which Christianity rose out of, is that uh, humankind was given a particularly special gift, and that gift was called free will. You know, we're set down here, we can do what we like. You know, you can, um, you know, we've uh, in recent years, uh, this is an ugly example to take, but I think it's germane to the discussion. Look at all the terrible uh, mass shootings we've seen in recent years. Those are the result of the free will of the individuals who committed those atrocities. Um, Each of us, if we want, can get up and do something absolutely horrible today. We can go out and shoot somebody if we want. Um, It's up to us to not want to do that. And so that was built into us human beings from the beginning. It's uh, one of the great gifts given to us. Um, you know, many primitive organisms they don't they don't think about what they're going to do; they just do it. You know, most animals they're programmed to. Uh, you know, they've got instinct to tell them what to do. Us human beings, we sit around; we can come up with any all kind of crazy thought we want, and well, there's jail to think about, but. You know, basically, we can do what we want. And that creates a situation of tremendous danger and peril. You know, we're stuck down here with each other, and everybody can do what they want. And, you know, you see the evidence of that every day in the world. And it's a mess. But it's our mess. We created it um, because we had the choice to. So it's kind of up to us to fix that. When God set the the wheels rolling, he, and again, we're talking theology here. I really want to emphasize we're not talking about science. Um, And when I say he, you can think about, you know, I'm a Christian, but you can think about God however you want. But when that um, supreme intelligence we call God created us, he allowed us to think what we wanted and to do what we wanted. So that's why we find ourselves in the uh, peck of trouble we're in today.
0: Absolutely. And you're listening to WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Ptolemy Tompkins, author of the new book, Proof of God, the shocking true answer to the world's most important question. Ptolemy, stay with me. I've got to run a few commercials. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back. My guest this morning, Ptolemy Tompkins, one of the authors of the new book, Proof of God, the shocking true answer to the world's most important question. My name's Peter Solomon, and it's WIP Sunday. Dalai, if I understood you correctly, though, you're saying God created it all, and then he stopped. There's no divine plan for how what we're supposed to do with it. Am I correct?
1: Well, again, this gets into, uh, you know, on radio, you got to be careful. You can't drift off into things that are too abstract, but... Uh, No, God is present all the time right now, but He, um, I would submit that um, he is waiting to see what we're going to do with the gifts he's given us. Now, I don't know how I figured it out, but I have divined that this radio station is one where the listeners have uh, an interest in sports. Would that be correct?
0: That's correct.
1: All right. So let's use a sports metaphor. Let's. Uh, you guys got a what a football game coming up tonight, right?
0: That's yes, indeed.
1: Okay. Well, let's say that uh, you took the main quarterback for that game, and you substitute him. And I can still get on a plane in time. I can come down there, and you can substitute that quarterback with me. I'll quarterback tonight's game. How does that sound to you?
0: Like a really bad idea. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm insulted. Yes, it would be a bad idea. But now just, you know, to bring this down to earth, look at what a quarterback does. You know, quarterbacks, they have this um, ability to – their intelligence works so fast that they are able to size up a situation with a speed that kind of boggles the mind. The great quarterback can see what's going on with all these different players, who's coming at who. You know, he's got his plans for where to throw the football. Um, but, you know, it's all chaos. People are trying to tackle him. And he's got to think so fast. Well, imagine a play in which the quarterback is throwing the ball way, way down the field. He's got a receiver down there. The receiver's moving. Um, he's, you know, people are covering that receiver. The quarterback has got to throw the ball in such a way that it's going to land bang right in that receiver's chest. And a good quarterback, one of the reasons people enjoy football, a good quarterback will do that and it's magical, right? Like how did he get that ball right there? Right. Now, if the football if the quarterback is God, um we are the receiver. We're down there at the other end of the field, and it doesn't matter how well that quarterback throws the ball, What do we have to do with that ball when it comes our way? What's our job?
0: Got to run the play.
1: Well, what do we got to do with that ball as it
0: sails toward us from way
1: at the other end of the field? What are we supposed to do with that ball?
0: Got to take it over the goal line.
1: Yeah, first we got to do something else. We got to do something called catching it, right? Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. And that's our responsibility, okay? The football has been thrown with crazily surgical precision. The length of the field, it's coming right toward us. But we got a choice. And maybe maybe the football's a little high, maybe we've got to jump for it, maybe it's a little low, we got to dive for it. We got to catch that ball. That's up to us. And that's, this is an analogy, but it uh, kind of answers I think it kind of answers your question about where we stand in relation to God. Um, after the quarterback throws the ball, the quarterback is still there, but once he lets go of the ball, it's a done deal. The ball's in the air, and he set it to come right toward us, but we got to catch it, and that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be aware of the world we actually live in, to have unbelievable gratitude at the precision and the work that it took to create human beings, to give us consciousness, to allow us, I mean, just the, con- just, just the sheer hardware that's entailed in allowing us to have this conversation this morning, you know, it's all going on subconsciously. You're not thinking about what your brain is doing when you ask the next question. I'm not thinking about what my brain is doing when I'm answering it, but it's all happening. And, you know, how'd that come to be? So we have to be, we don't have to, but we should, I think, be aware of the amount of work that went into creating us and placing us here on this earth. And if we look around and we complain, oh, things aren't going so well, well, we we did most of it. We created most of the mess we're in right now. And so suddenly stopping the game and, it's sort of like the receiver saying, Ugh, ah, you know, that was a pretty good throw and I could have caught it, but it wasn't just right. No. God wants us to do the work of catching that ball and bring it into the end zone. Uh, I hope this elaborate sports metaphor makes some sense. The bottom line is, we are beings with free will and consciousness, and it's our job to figure out what we're doing here and to try to act in the best way and to make the earth a harmonious place rather than a place of fighting and selfishness and dishonesty and disaster. So we got to catch that ball, and we got to bring it over into the end zone. God threw the ball. That's a done deal. So responsibility is ours.
0: But what if we blew it? What if God threw the ball, we caught it, and instead of taking it into the end zone, we created... The four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they ran rampant over the earth.
1: Whoa! You bring it in the four horsemen. My God, well, it's but, early Sunday morning.
0: <laughs> I mean, that—that's. That, I guess maybe that's my personal issue with God. You know, how can God be a nice guy and allow for murder, rape, genocide, illness, those things?
1: Well, if you start thinking about. The real complexity of the universe, and some some of what physics is showing us these days. Uh, think of every suffering human being on the earth right now. There's quite a few of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, standard theology, standard Christian theology, is God is present, and I, uh, I'm getting. Christian on you, but I suspect most of your listeners are probably Christian, so that's okay. Um, Every bit of pain that every person feels on the planet is felt by God. That's what the Gospels tell us. You know, the Gospels are curious texts. They're sometimes difficult to understand, sometimes very easy, but... In the Gospels, Jesus says, and he's uh, echoing Isaiah, he says, when a sparrow falls, God knows it. Now, if we follow that thought and we look at what it really means, it suggests that God is suffering right along with us as human beings all over the planet endure the agonies that are going on in life today. God is right there with us. He's suffering every bit as much as we are. We're not down here, little pawns that he created, and he's off doing something else. No, he is absolutely present. And, you know, this is in the New Testament, too. You know, I'll be with you until the end of the world. But those words are meant seriously. He is actually with us. He's with us if we have a migraine headache. He's with us if we're some child in Africa whose arm is cut off by the machete of some other tribe. Um, from the most minor pain to the most unbelievable agony, God is present for every bit of it. Now you say, well, how could that possibly be? Well, that's where birding was such a help. Um, bernie the astrophysicist my co-author it's where he was such a help he showed me how if we look at the world what we're learning about how what computers can do and how much information they can process and how much a computer can be sort of cognizant of as it's running a program god could easily be present with you with me with a chipmunk in a tree everywhere um... It's absolutely possible for God to do that because, well, you know, he created the universe. He can do a lot of stuff. So short answer, that was a mighty long one, but short answer is we're not suffering by ourselves and God's off doing something else. He is right there with us, suffering with us. And, again, this isn't science. This is me getting sort of Sunday morning preachery, but I guess that's okay because it's Sunday
0: morning. All right. Unfortunately, um, Ptolemy Tompkin, author of, one of the authors of Proof of God, the shocking truth, the shocking true answers to the world's most important question, we're out of time. So thank you, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. And it's WIP Sunday, the WIP time, 733. We'll be back after these messages. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. And I'm pleased to welcome my final guest of the morning, author Mark Dimitro, his new book, Lessons from My Grandfather, Wisdom for Success in Business and in Life. Good morning, Mark Dimitro.
2: Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Mark, everybody ought to listen to their grandfather, but what did your grandfather tell you in particular?
2: Well, you know, it was really all-encompassing as an individual who he was, just an amazing, amazing guy, you know, leaving home at 16 with nothing and have dreams of, you know, being something in life and being able to send money back to his family and all that good stuff, which he did, you know, did it well. Just so many lessons he taught me just because of who he was and how he lived his life. I mean, some of these lessons, which are really just, you know, impactual, you know, attitude is everything. You know, think about how important that is in life. You know, attitude plays into everything you do. You know, from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed you know, things have just, you know, remain humble always, you know, be joyful, be thankful for what you have, you know, everybody you, you meet could teach you something. So he was always just a student of life, just to learn, but also to be good and give back to others. You know, look for what others don't see, you know, be awake to the suffering of others. Like he was really a, just a good, wholesome person and got ahead in life because of who he was, purely because of who he was. You know, ju- uh, you know, not even a junior high school degree from high school. He didn't even graduate, but he had knowledge from life and from people and learned from the best around him and absorbed it all. So just, just a wonderful mentor in so many ways.
0: How did his lessons so serve you in your career?
2: Well, you know, it's just as an individual who he was, you know, he was always about do everything right or don't do it at all, you know, achieve excellence, you know, come in early, stay late, work hard, all these mantras that I just lived with. So, you know, just from a young age, you know, I had a paper out when I was 11, I always respected and always thought about how this this individual left home so early at the age of 16, you know, and respected the dollar and always worked hard, appreciated the opportunity to work and appreciate the opportunity to show people around him that he could be excellent and, and achieve excellence. So it was always just that that really just always instilling just to be the best you could be and work hard and take pride in what you do. It was always about that stuff that really drove me in my entire career and still, still to this day.
0: But how do you hold on to that philosophy and that set of beliefs when sometimes work can be so oppressive and so demanding that you just want to say, the heck with it?
2: Well, you know what, you know what it is? It comes down to, you know, something he always told me to a lot about life in general. And I just, just, just really took, took this to heart. So he always would tell me, he goes, you know, life is difficult. Life is hard. There'll be tragedy. There'll be disappointment. There'll be upset. There'll be setbacks. There'll be things that you have to get through, get around, or go, get over. But if you just keep the positive attitude and keep moving forward, keep forging forward, figure out a way to get things done, stay positive, move forward. You know, we're on this earth one time, and as far as we know it, on this earth. You have 24 hours in a day, how you get up in the morning, how you go to bed at night, and how you use your 24 hours is up to you. But stay positive. Try not to look back, and things can come your way and, and make things. things happen for yourself, but also keeping in mind, again, people around you and and really giving to others and helping others. And this brings back positivity to you. So really is that just constant mantra of this. Life is tough. Things will happen all around you, and it's difficult. And if, it, if you let life knock you down, you'll stay down. But you just got to have the will to keep going forward. And here, I always thought of this individual, again, leaving home so early at just a young age by himself with nothing, and coming to America in 1929, three weeks after the stock market crashed in the in the middle of the worst depression we ever saw in our lives, and lived in an apartment with six other guys, and slept on the bed one night a week for years, and polished shoes, and was a busboy and worked his way up. Like That, that drives me me you know that I say I got a roof over my head and a meal on the table that's a great start to my day you know so I just having that vision of him constantly in my head and you know just really trying to make him proud as well as my parents who were great mentors too
0: and that's a wonderful philosophy to have certainly but haven't there been times in your career when you just wanted to say "Uh uh-uh this isn't going to work
2: you know, listen, we all go through that, even the you know, biggest and best. You talk to people like Tony Robbins and these, some of these big, big, big guys like that that, you know, have gone through uh, a lot of ups and downs in their lives, and that's life. But you know what? The important thing is to have people around you as well, no matter how high or achiever you are, you know, from Warren Buffett to Tony Robbins and all around, even Oprah and everyone else that's big up, out there. Having people around you that you can bounce things off of, having people around you that are kind of mentors or guiding lights for you in a way, because we all go through that. You know, it could be somebody that you're close, close with or confident, but, you know, these are times that you know when you need a little counseling yourself, you need a little pep talk, a little mentor. We should all have mentors in our lives. And that's what I did with this book. I wanted to give the world a mentor that I had that I was so privileged. And, and to say that he was a disadvantaged individual, people will say, yes, he was very disadvantaged. Left home at 16 with nothing but a dream. No money in his pocket, got on a merchant ship, fed some animals to get to Greece. And so they bartered away to get to Greece, just starting to do that. But he wasn't disadvantaged because he had the drive and passion and the will in his head to succeed in life. So he was an advantaged individual. And with that drive and passion and dream, you're advantaged and you keep moving forward. So back to your question, we all go through, through things in life. It's, and life is hard. But it's you know, to keep an attitude, to keep fortune forward and want better and want more and want to help yourself. Success is different for everybody. It could be fame, fortune, money, or just having a good quality life as a family man and having a nice, modest home, enjoying your life. So that's a whole other picture.
0: Did you ever ask him though why he left home, why he did it?
2: Yes, I know exactly. Well, sure. So, so he was actually in school to be a pharmacist. It was, it was, he was on the island of Cyprus, which was a somewhat poor island. And you're talking about early 1900s. There was one pharmacist on the island. There was no cars or you know anything back then. It was just you know horse and and that was it and walking. So he uh, he wanted to be a pharmacist, and he was in school as junior year high school towards that goal. And my my great grandfather at the time. He had a uh, business that he would have the horse and the carriage. He would take people around the island as a taxi cab driver. So he said, "Listen, I, you know, I, I'm gone for a week at a time. I'm going to have to pull you out of school. I can't afford it ten cents a week. You got to take care of your family. A horse when I'm not here. So, you know, that's going to be the next, you know, phase of your life now here." So he kind of didn't accept that. And in the middle of the night, without telling his parents, he kind of went off to that merchant ship, which was getting ready to sail to Greece. And because he wanted to make something of his life and not stay there poor and you know and disadvantaged in his mind, so his father wrote out to the boat, said I I understand why you're leaving. Your heart, my heart is with you. Here's a couple of coins in my pocket. And on his way he went. So that's exactly why he left. And he never looked back and never steps, stopped sending money back to his family ever in his entire existence until they passed away. You know, years later. So that's just, that's the uh, quick snapses of it.
0: It's a remarkable story. Remarkable. Did your father answer did your grandfather though answer all your questions or do you have questions still today you'd like to ask them?
2: No I tell you we, we, we were we were absolutely best friends um, so 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 close we talked every single day twice a day I saw him all the time um, so we really got a chance to talk about a lot of stuff and in fact he would even when he retired at 60 I was born. You know, He had just retired at 60 when I was born, so in 37 years of my life I had him with me, in my, so much in my life. And even when he was here in Florida for six months of the year or four months out of the year, he would actually clip pa- articles from papers about life, about finance, about money, about anything investing. He would clip articles out every day, and every day I'd get stuff in the mail from him. You know, and, and so we, not only do we talk a lot, he's just constantly having his thoughts. And, you know, it's funny. He wasn't doing it to be a mentor. He thought of me as a son he never had. He had two daughters, my mom and my aunt. And he just constantly was doing this for me, it's this positivity, without even realizing it. And years and years later, and even after he passed you know what? This man was a mentor to me in such a way, so 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 profound that what he did without even knowing he was doing it is just so impactful. And that's what drove me to want to write the book. It wasn't about I had to write the book, but I had to write the book. I didn't have to. I had to too as well because I wanted to share this mentor with the world to give people a mentor like I had because I am very advantaged to have had him in my life. So I wrote this book for all ages, 16 to 100, anywhere in between. They can learn at a younger age, 16 to 40, how to be successful, how to be good in life and how to do all the right things to get ahead. And the older, 40 and up, will learn a great lesson in this book, as well as being a good mentor to their kids or grandkids and everyone around them. So it's, it's all-encompassing. So that's really exactly what the story was.
0: And you really, really honor his legacy, just from what you're talking about this morning. Um, clearly, I think he'd be very proud of you. Thank
2: you. It's very, uh, you know, for my entire family and everyone that knows me or, you know, knew him, it's really, it's remarkable. I'm so blessed to have had the opportunity and have the opportunity to have my my words, whether all the speaking I'm doing or my writing in the book, to be able to help one individual or thousands or hopefully millions one day with the power of this book. And I'm very, very blessed to have had my grandparent, my grandfather, my, my grandfather Charlie, and my parents as well to some degree to have had mentors like that in my life and I want to let people know that no matter where you come from no matter how much money you have no matter your upbringing rather mentors you have in your life or your family if your parents aren't really the parents you you think they are as far as mentoring you there's, there's opportunity for everybody. No matter where you come from, it's got to be in your heart and your belief and just drive forward and find your mentor. Find that coach or that teacher or that friend or that aunt or grandmother if you're not happy with, you know, everyday life in your, in your household. You know, if you have a meal on the table and a head over your head again, I said, it's a good start to the day. Just figure out where you want to be in life and just keep move forward, keep driving forward. So yes, I'm very blessed. And, and the legacy lives on. And I'm, I'm happy to help as many people as I can with this book.
0: Certainly you had a surrogate father in your grandfather that many men and women, but men in particular, wish they had.
2: Yeah, I, I, like I said, it, it's really, it's truly remarkable to have had this individual in my life because when you think about the hardships, and when I tell you hardships, I mean, come again, think about, again, without going backwards, you know, coming to America in the middle of the depression like that, not, you know, on food lines and you know, polishing shoes and living in a small apartment with six other guys, I mean, that's, that's. That's, you know, horrible. I think about that and this fortune forward. But the best part about this individual is he kept a positive attitude always his entire life, even when he was... When it was with him all the years I was with him, always positive. Every meal was the best meal I ever had. Always enjoyed being around people. Enjoyed life. Just happy. And just, I was so blessed to have that. Just the, the warmth. And he was a kid at heart. He was always having fun. So, you know, really a blessing. Truly, truly a blessing. The influence on my life. I, so I can't begin to tell you. So that's the, you know, the light bulb that went off with this book. So I have to write this book. This man was just so amazing as an individual and impacted so many people. And um, And so this is really, you know, the story behind it. Really, really is.
0: What are you doing now to carry on the legacy besides the work?
2: Well, you know, i tell you, every day of my life I work to, work to, you know, do the best that I can, be the best that I can be, you know, whether, whether it's in work or social or charitable. I just try to be a good person always and work hard, you know, because everything we do in life, you know, and people we impact around us, you know if you look at the the positivity of things or you know opening a door for somebody or letting them in when they're trying to get in a in a traffic and they you know trying to make a left in front of you and people keep just driving and worry about themselves you know this this world's a funny place You know, if if more people would just focus on, you know, things around them, helping others in need at times. I try to help people when I'm looking for jobs or try to help people with business and firm business. So I kind of, I just constantly try to live my life in a positive way, do the best that I can be, be the best that I can be, but also help others around me. So it's just, it's it's just a really all encompassing and enjoy my life. I try to enjoy my life. I wake up every day. You know, I do, my grandfather did his exercises probably till weeks before he passed away. He was always doing his exercise in the morning. I wake up. I eat healthy. I exercise. I try to be a good, wholesome person as best I can to honor my, grand, my grandparents and my legacy, uh, excuse me, the, um, the ancestors before me. It's just, you know, that's all I can do. What else can you do? You know, just be the best you can be, work hard, do good for others, and, and enjoy your life.
0: Do you have children yet?
2: Yes, I have three, three girls. Um, 12, 10, and 9, and, uh, you know, I try to instill the positivity in them on a a regular basis, whether it's simple things like being on time, you know, really being early is really being on time for me, but, you know, doing well in school, you know, I always – Tell them things about, you know, you want to achieve excellence and you want to take pride in what you do. And, you know, they're, they're cleaning off the little uh, their clay stations where we make clay. and so that, That's the way you do it. So you take pride in what you work what you do. And that's the way you achieve excellence. I'm like, I know, I know. You told us that already. So, you know, I constantly continue to say, give them the positive ideas of life, you know, respecting the dollar, appreciate the dollar. Like, really, that's one thing my grandfather would always tell me about, appreciating respecting the dollar. In fact, a funny story that I live with, too, is that, You know, I I said to him one time, you know, I said, you know, you live in a very modest house here in Florida, I mean, I should be in New Jersey, and it's a modest place in Florida, and you have all this money you saved up and, you know, retired early, and, you know, you can do so much more. You can have a much bigger place, you can travel the world, and he looked at me so seriously in my face and said, when you've been without, you never want to be without again. And what I went through in my life, this is probably the only time he was really, really serious about something like that level. When, you, when, when I went through with what I went, what I went through in my life to be without and not know where your next meal is coming from at times and being on food lines and, and, and so on and so forth, I'd rather have a lot of money in the bank and feel comfortable than have to worry about spending my money and having, having stress. So it, it was very, very uh, magnificent as a statement from, from him to me. Very powerful. So respecting the dollars is something you appreciate, and I also instill that in my children as much as possible. And others, and actually and others, because I've impacted a lot of people and a lot of friends about, you know, sell the big house and, and get a house half the size and live your life and be more happy and then having all the stress you have. So there's, there's a commonality of that. I said that before. What's success to everybody? It's different to everybody. You know, you can make a million dollars and spend a million dollars a year or make 100000 and spend 100000 But if you learn to live below your means, he always told me this too, you always, you always beat this rat race. You always, be, you always be okay. And That was kind of the, the, the mantra I lived by.
0: Have you put copies of the book away for your daughters? Because they're a little young yet, probably, to read it.
2: Yeah, they're a little young, but I I, I, uh, I have copies for them. I want to try and get them to start reading it. So uh, it's, it's it's somewhat of an easy read. I don't think they'll get it. I don't think they'll get it as far as the, the power picture in, in the book. But I absolutely have copies put away. And um, hopefully this book will be around for many, many, many years. So as they get into the next uh, you know four or five years, they'll hopefully start to pick up the book and get, get to read it. Because really at 16, is really 16 and up is really the the place that I actually uh, started this in my mind. is who I wanted to write to. So I wrote it very comfortably. In fact, I've been speaking in a lot of high schools lately uh, to that, you know, 16, 17 crowd. So I want to get to them early. still a little bit early maybe where they don't understand this stuff as well. But, you know, if they understand from a younger age about some of these things, if they pick up one or two things at this young age, it really helps them a lot.
0: And I want to say thank you to Mark Dimitro, his new book, Lessons from My Grandfather, Wisdom for Success in Business and in Life. You continue your grandfather's legacy, and that's to be admired. Thank you, sir. Thank
2: you, thank you. You know, people can go to my website, grandfatherlessons.com. Uh, there's a lot of information about the book and so on and so forth on there where they can buy it and good luck, all that stuff, too.
0: Thank you, Mark Dimitro. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. And you've Bye. been listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill, interesting and provocative discussion in the living room. Your opinions, Sonny's reactions. I know I'll be listening. Go, birds. You're going to do it today. I have faith. I want to say thank you to Phil Jackson, this morning's producer, and Ann Todman Solomon, my dear wife and associate producer. Couldn't do it without either one of you. Nothing left to say, but see you soon.